Lloyd Lee Choi is a Korean-Canadian writer-director who is passionate about representation in front and behind the camera. And Lloyd is deeply driven to highlight the minority and immigrant experience, rich with new and compelling stories to tell, stories that reflect the real world around us. Now, Lloyd's recent short film, Closing Dynasty, was supported through the Future Gold Film Fellowship, being one of three filmmakers selected by Netflix, Tribeca, and Goldhouse. Closing Dynasty has been Oscar qualified for the 2024 Academy Awards. So without further ado, let's welcome a visionary filmmaker and storyteller, Lloyd Lee Choi, to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be on. Well, I had the pleasure of uh, watching Closing Dynasty. And what gave you the idea to create this story? Yeah, um, this was inspired uh, by an actual run-in I had with a, a little kid, a little boy on the subway in New York City. Uh, he was maybe six years old, had the most incredible charm and confidence I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but he was by himself, and he tried to hustle me for money, tried to get money out of everyone on the subway subway car. And so he always stuck in my head. And, you know, um, when the time came to, to write the script and come up with the idea for this uh, application to Netflix and that film fellowship, um, he just popped in my head immediately. And I had to write a story about him, what his life is like, what he's about. Um, and that's where I came from. You know, was this six-year-old actually on the subway by themselves, no parents? It, it, he was. It, it was a shocking image to see, you know, and, and as you know, like just hundreds of people everywhere, packed train, and he wasn't, he felt very comfortable. Like he wasn't scared. He was very confident. He kind of owned, you know, the surroundings. He owned the car. This was his kingdom. And it, I just found that so incredible also heartbreaking you wonder what his backstory is right you want to know more about him um and yeah when when i was writing i just kept thinking why why is he doing this what is his life like at home um yeah yeah so so the real run-in was with a boy but in the film you have a little seven-year-old girl why did you make it a girl mm -hmm. It was through the casting process. You know, I did spend a good four weeks trying to find a, a little boy to represent the kid I met on the subway. Uh, I just couldn't find a little actor who could hold the film, who had that natural charm and confidence that I wanted. Um, so very last minute, we just I, I told my casting director, let's just open up to little girls. Let's just see who we get. And immediately we found... Uh, three incredible options, but, you know, Queenie, I mean, Millie, our, the, uh, the little girl we cast, she just had this incredible energy, this infectious charm. And naturally, she was precocious. She just was curious about everything. And that's, you know, that's the personality we want. Um, and so I felt we got lucky. It was very last minute. So for her, this wasn't really an acting stretch? <laughs> I mean, it was. She had to swear in, in the film, and she never swears. So <laughs> that moment where she had to swear a little bit, uh, we had to talk to her mom and make sure it was okay. And her mom, you know, who was on set with us every day, she just told little Millie, like, this is not you swearing. This is Queenie, the character swearing. So it's okay to swear. Um, but, you know, for, this, is her first, this is her first film. She's never really acted in a, in a full narrative film before uh and she was incredible she was like a this consummate professional 
you know, she was in and out of character when I called action and cut. And uh, yeah, she was incredible. You know, she, that is interesting that this is her first film because she comes across like she's done this before. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when it, when you were doing the casting process, uh, was this her first audition for anything? I think she's done a few auditions. Yeah, she's want, she's been wanting to do this. You know, I think she's been in a print ad before. She's has taken a few steps to get into acting, but this was her first actual role where she's a, she's a character. She's she has lines of dialogue. Um, we traveled her from L.A. to New York. She's never been to New York, uh, so we flew her in the day before shooting and and put her in wardrobe the day before, and uh, we were just right at it very quickly without much prep. Yeah. Well, she portrayed some very strong street smarts in the film. Did you have to teach her that? No, that was her off the bat. Um, there were moments where we're filming and we put the camera a little further away and had actual real people interact with her. You know, some of these moments that you see on screen are real, real moments. Um, and, you know, she's, she's selling things, she's hustling people, trying to make a buck. And she actually made real money. <laughs> I think we, I think we counted. It's like it's got to be around twenty bucks that she actually made from people, and you know, selling roses. Someone gave her like a ten dollar bill or something, and um, she has that natural charm. But also, I mean, New Yorkers they they care about people. You know, you see a little kid, and you immediately wonder what's going on. You want to help them. Uh, so we had a lot of moments where you know, real people were coming up to her and saying, "Are you okay? What's happening? Do you need help?" But she just points to us in the far background with the camera. It's like, oh, we're just making a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that was a good thing because it yeah. with with the film, I mean, there are so many elements besides Queenie. I mean, there's the location, there's the movement to different locations within the city, her interactions with different people. Uh, oh my gosh, even from the subway to the streets. I mean, you had this orchestra of numerous elements that fit so well in creating your story because, you know, your film is very artistic in so many ways where, you know, I'm not going to watch a film uh, point blank or just look at it from the surface. There's reasons why filmmakers do certain things. I mean, Mm -hmm. for you, how would you describe your film as a whole? Hmm. Uh, I think it's it's very much a simple snapshot. I wanted to follow, you know, this this kid I met in real life and just wonder what his day was like. This was a school day. This was a Wednesday. You know, what? Why is he out here doing this? But also, I want to be somewhat of a charming film, a snapshot that is not too judgmental. That's not trying to dig too deep into something. You know, I want it just to be an everyday moment in her life. Um, and, and not, again, not make judgment or force a message. I think that was the key thing. Uh, yeah, and, and again, it's like, a, it's, a, it's a little bit of a love letter to the city and the people um, and sort of energy that, that the city evokes so easily. Um, and one thing I don't often see is the city from the point of view of a little girl or a little kid. It's, it's uh, and it's always gritty and it's very harsh and, and kind of dangerous. And there's elements of that in our film but I, I never wanted that to feel like it's it's always oppressive 
for her. You know what I mean? And so I wanted this to be the sort of magical journey through the city from this kid's perspective. And from her point of view, we kept the camera very low the entire time and seeing the world from a, you know, four foot kid's height. And uh, it changes everything. It's kind of amazing to see it from that point of view. You know, it does change everything. And if a lot of people actually did their homework in the art of filmmaking, I believe it was Alfred Hitchcock was the one that learned how to take the camera and let's say if you're outside shooting a scene, they would dig a hole and lower the camera because the camera angle tells the story. And like you said, you brought the camera low. She's seven years old. Like you said, she's barely four feet tall. And to see the city and its happenings and its people from her perspective is just a brilliant move. Yeah, if, if we had a lot of discussions early on of like, you know, how we shoot this film with my DP, Chris Liu, my cinematographer. He was you know, very early on with those, those, um, those artistic choices, but also the limitations we want to put on ourselves, right? I think that's all, that's filmmaking is like the limitations and the rules that you have going into a film or else like, you know, especially in New York City, the, the possibilities are infinite. And sometimes it's, it's, there's too many choices and it makes it even harder in some way. So when you have rules, it makes it a little easier. And a big one was, you know, keeping the height at her eye level uh, as much as you can for 99% of the film is really at her eye level. So um, that, that was an easy rule and also just opened up the world in a very magical and, and subjective way that we wanted. Yeah, what I loved about the location being New York City And as I was watching the film, from an artistic point of view, and not necessarily the the storytelling, but just looking at all of the elements around it, I love the way where the shadows of the city play along with the story. I mean, Mm -hmm. while filming this, was, was there any difficulty when it comes to uh, light direction and shadow direction because you know there's a difference. So, okay, so let's say I'm in Houston. The city, the, mm. even downtown, even with big buildings, there's not a whole lot of shadow. Mm. And uh, but in New York City, it's completely different. So, mm-hmm. was there a way of having to film certain scenes because of that? But at the same time, mm. using that to your advantage. For sure. I mean, the, the beauty of New York City is, is the, the light. It's, you can point the camera anywhere and it's, it's magical because the way the light refracts off the glass, the buildings is bouncing, you know, 10 times by the time it reaches the street. And um, you get this incredible dance of light shadow. And, and that's always fun to play with, uh, especially with the little kid too, running in and out of it. You know, we have smoke coming from sewers. We got pigeons. We got all the natural elements. And we try to really just bring all of that in and be open to it when we're filming. You know, the pigeons, you know, that she chases, like, you can't plan that. You just kind of see it on the day and you just improvise and you let her be a kid. That's what a kid would do. Um, but it was, our the way we shot the film structurally was very deliberate. You know, for me, it's like, you know, she's she's a kid uh, from a lower working class family, you know, and, and you reveal that later on. But for me, I wanted this idea that she starts in the underground, goes to the surface level. And then when it's the most dangerous, she goes to up the steps and each 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 layer of the film, she's going up 
you know, making more money and progressing up the ladder uh, in her own mind, right? But also it gets more dangerous. And that's when, you know, the climax of the film happens is it's on the second floor of a, a brownstone of a very wealthy, you know, affluent brownstone. And I want to, you know, like the city rat she is in the in the in the subway to the to the street level to the brownstone. It was very intentional to to show that progression. Then that was really the that was really the most intense part of the film. And I don't want to give anything away because what I liked about that particular scene is it makes the audience think back to one element of the film where she's selling the flowers. So there's mm-hmm. a link between one one scene there and then to the brownstone, which I mm-hmm. just really thought was great because Queenie, she knew, she, she had a sense of knowing that there was value in certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's more like when she found the fake diamond mm-hmm. and then had to go, and which I thought was a really funny scene. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and so there's there's a contrast between uh, what is uh, a value and what is not, mm. and right. I love that. But that brownstone that that's a little bit of a an intense scene in that film, yeah. and I do love the way that you you know you you move the film along more from morning into mm-hmm. the night. So again, it goes mm-hmm. back to working with a lot of the light and the shadows and mm. what's casting even upon her face because it all tells yeah. a story. For sure. And then it's, it's a bit more dangerous too when you, you put the shadows in there, the lights, uh, and, you know, just feeling a little bit of tension and danger as she, you know, walks into this, uh, you know, open house essentially. So, yeah. Well, when you're sitting in uh, the editing room and you're going through all the footage, did you mm. uh, see anything that surprised you and just kind of gives you the thought of, oh, we could have never planned that? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I mean, the real interactions we had with some strangers, you just could never plan, right? You just hope for the best. Uh, the subway was a very challenging uh, scene to shoot because you know this is not the biggest budget we just went out on the street and you know uh you know steal the shots essentially right just go on and, and shoot it and with a very small crew but the subway it's real people this is a real live subway we had no control we're planting some actors in there that she might interact with uh a camera we were kind of jostling around but you know it was, it was very chaotic yet when we watched the footage back in the editing, she was always in character. She was always present. It was all the stuff happening around her. This is like, you know, maybe her second time in the subway. And she was still in character the whole time. And that's what blew me away was even, I was panicked. I was like trying to figure it out. And she was totally fine. She was just like calm as a cucumber. And she, uh, there was actually this one time she had a run in with the, the guy who didn't like us being there and kind of like, yelled at yelled at us and she just had no reaction she's like okay and then walks away <laughs> and and it was it was this incredible um assuredness that she had uh that was amazing to see you know i when i watched the film the first time because i watched it more than once when i watched it the first time and uh the way it ends i was like ah i get it mm. when i watched it the second time 
I don't want to give it away, but there's there's a particular scene in this in the subway car. <clears throat> and Queenie says something, and when I watched it the second time, I didn't catch it the first time. Because you know, if you're watching it the first time, you're not gonna realize that there's a there could be a point of dialogue that's actually important. And then when I watched it the second time, and I was like, oh, now I'm getting it. And, mm. but, but it still doesn't give away the ending. But it, when you watch it the second time, then you actually start to put the story together uh, more deeply. So what I learned mm. from your film is that as adults, we underestimate the awareness that children have. I mean, they can sense when things are not going well with adults. And with Queenie, her idea is to find a solution. Yeah. And that's, that was the, the core of the film was the, the resilience of kids, you know, and, and just how, you know, in very adult situations, they're very aware of what's going on, just even energetically. And they can, they can feel moments, right? Uh, even though they don't know the full, they can't fully grasp the weight of, what's happening, they still understand somehow instinctually. Um, and yeah, she's a special kid. I think she's a street smart kid. She wants to help her family. She, she loves her family, loves her mom and dad. Um, and there's a lot of little clues that I always love films that they plug things early that are so subtle and you kind of hint at it later. And, and sometimes maybe in the first viewing, you know, you don't really get it, but the second time you see it, you're like, Oh my God, that those are all connected. And, um, a lot of those things I put in are her mimicking the people around her, you know, and what she thinks she should be doing. And there's a lot of, even the cigarette is a big clue. And, um, you know, those are, those are childlike things. Like it's, for me, it was like making her feel uh, more adult than she really is. She's growing up a little too fast. And there's a, obviously the bittersweet heartbreak around that. Um, so yeah, that was something very, uh, something I was conscious of. Yeah, there was, you know, there's a couple of moments where if you're paying attention, you're going to pick up those moments again that connect to a moment later in the film, which is mm -hmm. what I love. Because, you know, yeah, it's it, with short films, sometimes you just have to watch them more than once. Because your mm -hmm. film, there not only is there a compelling story, it's very artistic from the point of view of the cinematography. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when I went back, I think it was, a, I think it was the third time I went to, to, to watch it again. Cause I wanted to, I was going, I was kind of breaking it down. Mm. Who did the music scoring for this film? Because it was so fitting for the story and the location. Mm. I mean, the score was so, 1920s 1930s <laughs> uh which just fits new york city yeah there's uh we had an amazing composer uh charles humanry uh and and it's a mix of composed music and you know music that we found uh but that evoked that certain tone that we that i was listening to while writing the film actually and it's that weird middle ground of of you know, nostalgic and heartbreaking. I don't know. It's, it's a weird, it fit it perfectly. I, I can't, it's hard to explain it. And, but you know, when you watch it, it just naturally fits. Um, but it's also not too 
it's not too melancholy, if that makes sense. It, no, it's still it's moves, not a, it's just a charm. Yeah. Yeah, and it was funny was is I didn't pick it pick up the music score or really pay attention to it mm. until Queenie was leaning up against that fence and she was kind of playing around with the cigarette and holding mm. it and trying to see, you know, kind of act like a grown up. And then that's when mm-hmm. I I kind of paused it, I re I rewound it a bit, and then I'm like, mm. let me listen to that score because I'm like Because the film being modern day mm. but New York City just evokes the past every mm-hmm. single day. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just something you feel the history, you feel the nostalgia in New York, which is why I love it. Uh there's Every street you walk down, every restaurant or bar you go into, you can feel a sense of stories all around you. And for me, that for me, that's what's New York, that's the beauty of New York City. Why I live here is it's quite inspiring to feel that sense of history, energy, um, and the music just fit perfectly. I don't know something about it. It was hard to describe. Yeah, when we put it on the cut, we put it on the edit, and let it play with her scenes. Even though it, was, it wasn't timed perfectly, it just it, it evoked that right feeling uh, that was still playful, and, and yet there's something underneath it that wasn't quite right, too. Yeah. Yeah, I also like the fact that you used very limited dialogue. Mm-hmm. Because the dialogue is only there uh, for certain situations when she's really interacting with an adult. Um but then you're using the camera, you're using the music score, and it's just filling in all of these spaces. And because at the same time, when there's no dialogue, there's you're focusing on her wonderment. You're focusing mm-hmm. on what is she thinking? What is she about to do next? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it just flows so well. I mean, how, how did you create the storyboard for this? Mm. Um, we just had a shot list going in. We didn't want to be too prescriptive. You know, we knew we needed certain angles and these moments specifically, but you know, with kids, you kind of want to be open. You want to be fluid. You don't want to, uh, they, they have a mind of their own. They have, you know, certain ebbs and flows of energy throughout the day. <laughs> and so you just kind of want to be open to having to change things. If you have to, to having to adapt, uh, you're working with her, uh, she's not a, she's a, she's a, a, an incredible performer, but she's also still a kid, right? She's, she's going to have moments of, uh, tiredness and lulls. And, um, so you really have to be open to adapting a scene, uh, to what she's able to do, what she's willing to do, what she's capable of doing and what she wants to do, I think is a key thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's being fluid, I think is, is the number one thing. <laughs> Well, did the lead actress need to take naps? There was one day it was cold. <laughs> She's from LA. She's from California. And uh, I think it was like a third day. And we're shooting in the springtime. Uh, and it was just like, it was freakishly cold for some reason that morning. And we bundled, bundled her up, but she just didn't want to do anything. And I get it. Like if I grew up in California, I suddenly felt cold for the first time. So it took a, a few hours to warm her up. But she she got there, um, <laughs> and you know it's always funny. Like you're, when you're in the moment, you have to remember she's seven years old. Like she is a kid. You want to 
for me, it was so important for her to have a great experience filming this. She's always having fun. This never feels like hard work. You know, there's moments where we all get tired, but you still have to bring her back to make this feel like it's, it's, um, it's playtime. You know, I, I always want her, and I, I think she will always remember this experience as a very fun moment. Uh, and, and it was, it was hard work, but it was worth it and, and gratifying because it was hard work. Um, so it's been fun. Honestly, it's been very fun seeing her grow up over the last year and a half. Uh, it's been, I don't know if you have kids, I don't have kids, but it's just, it's a, it's the heart, it's the harshest mirror of time. Uh, and, and you cannot, it's, it's the, always a constant reminder. So every time I see her at a festival every month or every other month, she's growing up, her teeth fill in, uh, she, her vocabulary changes, her little mannerisms change. And, um, I can't imagine being a parent seeing that happen every month. Yeah, I mean, you've given her an, an incredible film start, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so. She's, she's a star. She's incredible. Well, what would you like the audience to leave with after seeing your film? Oh, man. Um, I mean, there was never an intentional message I wanted to say. You know, this is for me, I always start, I always like films that are just very character-driven um, that are snapshot into someone's life. Um, and this is a family, you know, this is a family on the fringes. They're, they're just working class people. They're never, you never really see them on screen. So I think um, I always like to, to dig into stories and characters that, you know, maybe you meet them on the street in real life and maybe you just hopefully have a bit more empathy uh, for them or where they're coming from. Um, and, I hope, you know, I hope with all my movies, I, I can do that a little bit uh, for, for people. I mean, how does it, you know, for you, how how do you feel to have an Oscar qualified film? It's exciting. It's, I'm, I'm, you know, I just I just want people to see it. I want people to experience the, the magic of, of Millie and her performance as Queenie. Um, you know, we've had an amazing festival run. We, we started our festival run in, in February uh, in Berlin and we won... We, we, you know, we won seven, seven awards now, um, since then. And we've had this incredible stretch of festivals you can't ever predict. And we're just very happy. And, um, you know, whether or not it qualifies for the Oscars for us is just, um, the more eyes that see it, the better. That's all it is. So the word Oscar is not making you nervous. No, no. <laughs> for me, it's, it's obviously a incredible uh, but, uh, as a filmmaker, I think for me, it's the process of making, I love it because of the process of making it. Obviously the festivals, the accolades, uh, are always nice and incredible and a nice cherry on top. But I, uh, I never remember that. I always actually remember the, the process of being in the street at seven in the morning, filming with Millie. Um, and those are memories that I hold on to and stick on to more, uh, and cherish more. Well, it's a beautiful film, and um, I mean, you know, what's next for you? Uh, hopefully, making a, my first feature film. Um, so that's in the works. It's based off actually another short film I shot last year, and um, it's moving along. Hopefully, shooting in March, and I'm very excited to jump into that feature film land uh, and prove to myself that I can I can do it. That's really that's really what it is. 
Now, is that film, is that the one, uh, is it Same Old? Same Old, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's based off Same Old. And um, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's a simple, it's, it's an expansion of that story. There's actually a lot of closing dynasty in the feature film, spiritually. There's an element of the daughter in the, in the, in the feature film that I took a lot from Closing Dynasty. Um, so when you watch a feature and you watch both short films, you're going to see there's, there's a lot of connection with that. Well, with, with the film, same old, that was what, that was 2022. And yes. wasn't that one of only nine films, uh, U.S. films that actually made it <clears throat> to the Cannes Film Festival? Yeah, that was, um, 2022 in May. Yeah, that just last year. It's crazy. The year has gone by fast. Um, uh, that was, it premiered as one of nine films in the main competition, the only U.S. film. Uh, and uh, it was my first ever film festival. So that was, it was a crazy experience uh, and opened a lot of doors and changed, changed my trajectory for sure. And, and very uh, grateful for that experience. And then at the same time, though, I was already filming Closing Dynasty. So when I got the news for Cannes, I was in the middle of production for Closing Dynasty. Um, and uh, yeah, at first I thought it was a scam. I didn't answer their this random foreign number for three days. And then he just because I was shooting, I was like, I was just, I kept declining the call. And he the the programmer at Cannes emailed me saying you should pick up your phone. <laughs> and he I picked up the phone on the next ring and found uh, out. That that is. That's actually incredible. I mean, Cannes is like the epitome of the film festivals. And I've heard mm -hmm. this from others where they get contacted. Uh, even some that uh, appeared at Tribeca this year, they were contacted and they're like, is this real? Uh, is this a yeah. scam? And then they have to remind <laughs> themselves, wait a minute, we submitted the film, so maybe it is yeah. real. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. People don't... Um realize the small percentage it is to get into any festival like any it's crazy because short films is a weird world where there's so many out there there's thousands that are submitted to every festival you know some three four thousand so to be nine of four thousand or whatever or 30 of you know it's it's pretty the percentages are insanely small and when you make you put your heart into something you hope for the best, but you can never predict it, right? You never know the the the, the mood of the programmer watching your film at that time. Um, and then I think for features, you know, it's a different landscape. If you have a star, you're very likely to get in, or you know, and there's less films out there. So short films is a pretty cutthroat. <laughs> well, you know, you bring world. up a good point because how far in advance does one submit a film? Let's say if it was can. Vienna, mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's Palm Springs, Sundance, or Tribeca. Mm -hmm. How far in advance do you have to submit? It's pretty far in advance, like six six months, I think. About uh, I think we submitted uh, same old into can in like I can say November, October, and, and you know six months ahead uh, for closing Dynasty for Berlin. That was in I think September that we submitted. So um, you have to wait a long time. To, and you risk it. You have to decline some festivals, hoping for the big one, because uh, they always want usually world premieres. Um, so it's a, it's a. We feel very lucky. Our you know, 
both the teams that made both films feel very, very lucky uh, that we had this run and um, just trying to take that momentum to make the movies we want to make. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a very high honor to be accepted. I mean, just this year in Tribeca, I think there was over 8,000 films submitted and only about wow. 2,000. Because, you know, there's numerous categories. Oh, and yeah. to have 2,000 accepted uh, because it was Oscar, also an Oscar-qualified festival as right. it usually is. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're if you've never if you're looking at becoming a filmmaker, uh, just mm-hmm. know there are high honors ahead, and uh, there's timelines to follow. But uh, you're not going to be the only one on the block. But boy, when they give you that phone call, it is something yeah. extremely special. And ladies and gentlemen, closing dynasty. This is a story of Queenie, a precocious seven year old. She brims with confidence and swagger. She fearlessly scours the subways and the streets of New York City, searching for ways to make a dollar. She's relentless and unstoppable. But as the audience follows a day in her life, we ultimately wonder what Queenie's true intentions are and why this little girl is working so hard on a school day. But when you get the chance to see this wonderful film, you'll find out what those true intentions are. So no spoilers here. So Closing Dynasty left me with a feeling that we should never take children for granted. They are smart, and we need to be smart enough to know that they learn by example. And Lloyd, I want to thank you so much for sharing your Oscar-qualified film with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, hosting me. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, you can catch all the replays of our interviews with the top film directors like Lloyd and also producers and screenwriters, actors and more on our YouTube channel, Bond on Cinema. And we are available on a dozen audio platforms as well. So I want to thank you for watching and listening. And as for me, I'll see you at the movies.